Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking to Dr. Andrea Jones-Roy. So grab your data science. And let's get civical. everybody welcome back to let's get civical i'm lizzie stewart and i'm arden wallentowski and today we have a very 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 special return guest i think this might be our first return guest am i crazy i think so or one of our first one of our first return guests um so excited. I loved our conversation last time because I am a huge dork and a big nerd. Um, and I love talking about data science with you and political science. Um, so Andrea Jones-Roy is back with us. Hello. Thank you for having yeah. me. Um, wow. I'm always honored to be a return guest, but especially a first or among the first. That's yeah. a, a rare <laughs> honor. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Absolutely love to have you back. I mean, we just, you you were the one that we couldn't let get away. You know, the, the rom-coms are writing themselves. Yeah, exactly. That's we're right. in love. That's right. You guys, we're in love. <laughs> they met on a podcast during the pandemic. It's a tale as old as 2020. <laughs> Stop. We're finishing each other's sandwiches. Oh, this is my insane. God. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners can't tell, but we're all dressed the same. I know. <laughs> yes. That's that's the beauty of podcasting is you'll never know what I look like. Yeah, yeah, I'm wearing a bear costume. It's perfect, <laughs> and I wouldn't have you any other way. Oh my god! Um, so welcome back. Thank Bye. you, thank you. Yeah, welcome back. And you have a a new podcast called Majoring in Everything. Yes. Tell us a little bit about the premise of the podcast. I think I understand because I think I've done this in my life. Perfect. I should have you on. <laughs> Wonderful. I, I feel like I was an actor and then I worked in political science and did campaigns and now I'm writing. And so I feel like, right, like that's that like, counts. A circum- like a multi hyphenate all over the place. Exactly. What? So tell us about your new show. Yeah, I basically I have a, a better pitch for it. But now that you describe it, I'm like, oh, I interview people whose lives, if you look at their lives, you're like, they don't know what they're doing. Like that's for sure. That's the people Mm -hmm. that I interview. And I say that with love. So uh, the last time I was on the show, I had my show Ask a Political Scientist, which I think I'll drag back every election or or whenever. The world seems like it's fully ending. I'd be like, oh, time for- Oh, time to do the one woman show. Here we go. (laughs) We're talking political science. 
But, uh, you know, sort of midway through the pandemic, you know, we're all burned out on politics. And I realized there's a privilege in saying I can kind of set aside politics. But I was like, I want to think about something else or who else we are in addition to people who are concerned about the state of the world. And so I'm trying to write, I'm in the early stages of writing a book that's going nowhere because I can't focus. Uh, so I'm envious <laughs> of anyone who can write. But the book, the premise of the book is that we focused on the, the importance of specialization and picking a thing. And we see it like on social media, like what's your brand? What's your niche? What's your this? Who's your thing? And if you don't specialize and, and go passionate and become the goat in whatever field you're in, it's like, why even bother? And at least I was brainwashed by that. I don't know how much of that is like a millennial thing. I don't know, maybe Gen Z has been spared all of this. But one of the things I wanted to do, because it's really hard for me to say, I have like the lowest self-esteem in the world. And so I was like, I don't think I can sit down and write a book about how like, my confusing life is the life other people should lead because I don't mm. think that's true. But <laughs> I do happen to know a lot of super awesome people who have done lots and lots of seemingly unrelated things. And the earliest premise was like, it's generally people who span the arts and sciences, but right. it doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily have to be, right? It can be a variety of things that don't make sense. And so I bring these people on and I ask about we, do, we talk about a mix of things. Sometimes it's about how did you discover these strange things? You know, you grew up as a scientist. Why are you now uh, a flutist in a rock band? How did that happen, <laughs> right? And, and to sort of tell the story and understand the twists and turns of life and that it's not this like single narrative. And then the other thing I'll do is just say, you know, I bring people on who are experts in just like eight different awesome things and we just talk about those things. So I'm working on an episode now with a neuroscientist and she's like, well, there, there's like four different kinds of memory and memory is stored in different ways. And so we just talk about that and then we talk about how she's also an open water swimmer and swam between Australia and like some island. Not New Zealand, not that far, but really far. Still, wow. open water anything, I'm like, yeah. I'm barely I'm barely a good pool swimmer, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then the only other thing, I feel like I'm really going on a tangent about this, but the only other thing I'll say is that the origin of the name itself was in part because when I was in college, we all had to go around and say what we were going to major in. And I literally, because I thought I was really smart, I literally said, I'm Andrea, I'm going to major in everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, like a little bit self-satisfied. But the other part of that is the reason I'm dragging that, uh, that uh, relic back is that I teach undergraduate students now. And every week I have students showing up in my office hours who are you know, 18, 19, 20 and saying, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm so lost. I'm so behind. I'm so this. And I remember feeling that way. And it's, yeah. there's only so many times I can say like, actually, it kind of doesn't matter what you major in. Do things that you think are vaguely interesting and you'll do better in them as opposed to the thing you should do. Like, it's easy for me to spout that stuff off. And so the other yeah. thing I'm doing, not that my students are listening to my podcast, but just sort of <laughs> getting the word out there that life is probably not as linear as it looks on paper right. or LinkedIn or social media. Right. I mean, isn't it right. insane though, that we are expected in this weird kind of societal way to know what we want to do with our life at 18 because we're fed this yeah. sort of um, story that you major in the thing that you want to spend the rest of your life doing. And it's yeah. like, you know, I'm 10 years out of college and I'm still like, I don't, I, like, should I go back? Should I, should, do I have to do a redo? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm so confused. I was spent my whole 20s in school and I still am like, mm, I think I did it wrong. <laughs> how yep. many do-overs do we get in this life? I mean, and I don't know how much of this is is an American thing. Like we do compared to my my loose knowledge of other cultures, you know, we do, mm. if we meet someone, we're gonna ask, you know, what do you do? 
in a way that like you wouldn't in France. I'm kind of making that example up, but that kind of thing. But I'm also thinking about, as you said that about, you know, kindergartners, first graders, what do you want to be when you grow Mm, up? Is that an American thing? I don't know, but I remember being asked that. And I'm sure you both were as well. Yeah, Mine was an astronaut for sure, which is insane. That's a good answer. That's a really good answer. Well, I have a fear of flying and I'm bad at math. So I really (laughs) didn't have the finger on the pulse for that one. No, mine yeah. was uh, almost less cool, but but similarly misguided in that mine was a marine biologist. Mm. It was only because my friend Lauren wanted to be a marine biologist and I thought she was cool. Aww. Yeah, I liked swimming, but I was terrified of going in shark cages. So I was like, can I be an on land marine biologist? Yeah, <laughs> just just no the water fishes of the biologist. land, the dry, the dry, the dry waters. <laughs> That's so funny. I wanted to be a. Um... Well, it was two things. And mainly it was because I was obsessed with the show Profiler at the time. Ooh. So I I wanted to be an FBI profiler or an actress because then I could play one uh, if I didn't. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I could be whatever I wanted. So then I did do the thing for a couple of years that I wanted to do as a kid. And then, and then I went to school at 25 and did my mm. undergrad. And so then I got to study something that I was interested in. But it was funny because I was like, I don't really want to be a political scientist you know I was like I went to school and did the thing I was I thought I was supposed to do which is study the thing that you think is interesting right um and then when I graduated it was like well now I have to get a job in political sciencing how does that work Mm -hmm. like what I don't want to go to grad school for that that sounds yeah not fun it's not fun (laughs) it's not fun Andrea can Andrea can attest (laughs) save yourself a lot of grief well done thank you thank you very much yeah so and now I'm you know still kind of working in that field ish but now I'm like trying to move back to the arts I mean it's very funny I mean you're so right like the arts and science duo you know it's like that campaign thing of I feel like when like there are a lot of people who work in politics who came from the arts, you know, who came from theater specifically. It's really funny. Like there are a lot of people in the um, in the Senate office that I interned in. There were quite a few of them that had like theater backgrounds or they had or like when, um, you know, there are big campaigns and they need to staff up or they have, you know, canvassers or whatever. It, like a lot of times it'll be like people like actors or like people who were on tour and now they're off tour. You know, they're going to go do this for three months because it fits in their schedule and it's not you know, like a full-time job. It's just, it's really, it's such a funny overlap, those two worlds. So I love that you're really like exploring that and and like talking to people about their experience in that. It's awesome. Well, thank you. And uh, I'm sad. I'm so curious about all these theater people. I could see why the scheduling piece would work out because you're mm-hmm. used to working in sort of like on and off chunks. I'm thinking now about like anytime someone's like, have you registered to vote or like doing canvassing or whatever? I'm like, are these all actors? Oh my God. <laughs> Am I on a TV show right now? Am I, TV? <laughs> I mean, in a way it makes sense because they're like, they're used to being in front of people and talking to people and they have a comfort. Uh, there's, you know, something comfortable about that for them. I mean, it's very different being on stage and asking somebody on the street to sign a petition. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Especially in New York when most people are just like, get out of my face with that. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what you're doing. I want you to Um, die, actually. (laughs) You're completely in my way. And it's like, oh, do you have a second? No one in New York has a second. Not a single second. second. And if you do have a second, you're a tourist and probably not relevant for whatever it is you need a petition for. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I do barking Um, for comedy shows because I'm a huge success, uh, which means like I sell tickets on the street. Right. And I, I now that has made me nicer to these other people because people like, 
if, if I get acknowledged for existing when I sell a ticket or when I'm like, hey, we have a company show, I'm like, oh, that's so nice. Cause they'll like nod or shake their head. I'm like, oh, they see me. I'm alive. I'm, I'm real. Okay, that's great. <laughs> Am I really? Yeah. Am I human? <laughs> a different story. I mean, I'm selling comedy tickets. I'm not trying to, you know, save our rights, which I probably should be doing. Uh, so I feel I'm, I'm really just imposing on these people as opposed to, you know, the folks who are like, let's save children and the environment. Like at least they're working for a good cause. Right. I'm, I think your show is a good cause and, mm -hmm. and I, I'm looking to Agreed. you to save us, Andrea. It's not, it's hard out here. One Greenwich village drunk comedy show at a time. I think that's oh. our ticket out. Yeah. Ben, <laughs> you know ben what? Mayer. We need to laugh. Yep. We need to laugh. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. What's been the most interesting like combo of like this person does this random thing and also this random thing that you've come across so far? That's a good question. Thank you. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love feedback. A plus. Please. A plus. <laughs> pass. Yeah. Really nicely said. Really nicely thought out. Oh. Excellent timing. <laughs> My God. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a really good, there's so, so there's selection bias because I select people that I already think are interesting and there's a right. heavy bent, uh, we're wrapping up season one right now. Awesome. And I'm Ooh. doing it in seasons because I just don't have the stamina to do things nonstop. So you, you both have been going nonstop, right? Yeah. 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 I, I can't feel my face. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like how many drugs are you on? I don't know. Right. Right. I don't I, know how know we ended up just being able to do it. I, it. You know, it's one of those things where it just becomes part of like like your your everyday being you know like yeah it's just it's so in our bodies of like yeah if we don't record or i don't edit or arden doesn't do research like it feels wrong like i guess how people yeah, yeah. feel when they like work out regularly i don't know like you start to feel like <laughs> bad about yourself that you're not you know checking that box right that's why yeah. i'll never fall into that trap exactly right that's why i don't work out um <laughs> so yeah it's I don't know. It's it's not. It becomes yeah. so part of your everyday that it's not really hard. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's just you it's make true. time for it. Yeah. We went on a. My girlfriend and I went on a month long road trip last summer, <laughs> and I like. I mean, first of all, the videos and and photos of where I was recording in these Airbnbs and hotels was absolutely on point. But it was it was funny. Like I took the microphone and it was just like you know, sure, it's, yeah. it's new and it's different. And you got to find a place to do it. But you do it and you do the research and you and you keep going. And it's, you know, it's like if it's a Monday or Tuesday, I got to listen to it. A Wednesday yeah. it comes out, you know, like there's just certain things that are just, you know, on our regular schedule. And yeah, it's 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 it's, it's when we take the breaks because we usually do like a two week break over the um, winter, you know, between Christmas and New Year's. That's when it feels like, God, I haven't seen Lizzie in forever. I know. I feel like something is missing. What's happening what, in the world? What's happening in the world? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I definitely, I already wanted to have you both on the show, but now I'm thinking I need to have you both on together as well. <laughs> we make a package. <laughs> so, because I work very, uh, my, my co-instructor called me, said this. She was like, you're very bursty in email, which is to say I'll ignore all emails for a day and then reply to them all in a second. And sure, 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 sure. And now I'm just realizing that that's how I live my entire life. And I knew that I just didn't have a good word for it. So I do like I'll record six episodes in a week and then dribble them out yeah. at a slow pace. And then yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. realize I'm out. And then there'll be just sort of an unannounced month long hiatus while I scramble and get it back together. Like I just can't do things in a steady way. And I actually, yeah. I had mm. a, um, 
the the director or founder of my former place where I used to train circus it's called Circus Warehouse in Long Island City. Oh, my friend goes there. Oh yeah, oh yay. Yeah. Wonderful place. Um, I went once to to train and I was like, Susie, I feel so guilty. I haven't been in a while. I kind of show up and I, I do it like crazy for a month and then I disappear. And I was like apologizing to her and thinking that she wasn't gonna take me seriously. And she was just like, Andrea, we're artists. Artists are passionate people. You train when you feel you need to train and you don't train when you need to do other things. And I was like, okay, and that's taken to an extreme. I can really let myself off the hook for some stuff, but I've decided right. to embrace the like, I'll go through a fever of being interested in one thing and then it'll pass to another thing. But there's sort of a cycle. Anyway, to go back to your most, uh, the most interesting people question, which is such a good question, I derailed it, is so I invite <laughs> people on because I already know they do at least two things. What's cool is I tend to learn more, even if it's someone I know reasonably well, I tend to learn in the course of that conversation that there's even other things right. that they do. Right. So, mm. so I have a friend, for example, I was talking about this person earlier who is a neuroscientist and a co-executive producer, I think, for Story Collider, like the science storytelling podcast. Oh, awesome. Paula Crocs in her episode's coming out as soon as I finish it. I'm like halfway through <laughs> listening to it and then I recorded it like a month ago. So that's where that is. Um, and so I brought her on to talk about the neuroscience and storytelling and how she's using art to tell stories about science and da, 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 and all that. And then only in researching uh, did I find out that she was also, she's the one who was a flutist in a band, like a big deal band. Awesome. That's insane. And I didn't see that yeah. coming. Okay, great. And then when she joined the show, she was like, oh, I'm doing open water swims across, you know, down the Hudson. She swam from like the Tappan Zee to the whatever bridges Holy down shit. here, just wild amounts of swimming. And then in passing, she was like, oh, and the reason I got into that was when I was growing up, I was a swimmer and I did synchronized swimming and I, I was a, a water polo player for the UK National League. Like what? Oh what? my God. Like I bring you onto the show because I, I can see that you, you are multi-talented and, and I think awesome. And then there always is more where that came from. Like I had, uh, yeah. this episode is coming out in a few weeks of so sneak preview. Um, Andrew and Catherine on who connected us from Shark mm -hmm, Party mm -hmm. Media. I had them come on uh, as, as the two of them. It's the first time I've had two people on at once to talk about their multiple lives. And at one point, I don't want to reveal all the multiple lives, but at one point, Andrew was like, oh, yeah, I was a physicist for 10 years in the Bay Area. Like, what? What? That's crazy. Yeah. So it's the surprising thing is that there's even more than I already thought there was, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's Especially awesome. Phys I mean, shoot. I would love to reveal that I'm a physicist. Like, I would love... <laughs> you have no idea how just much I that wish in. that I was, like, just had that card up my sleeve. Right? That's oh so legit. Any argument. Whatever you're yeah. discussing, you're like, well, mm -hmm. I was a physicist. And you're like, well, yeah. you're right. Whatever it is, you're right. Right. You're right. Because I'm just over here That's like, well, amazing. I did go to acting school, so what am I going to do now? And he's like, well, you know, I know chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I invented the Moderna vaccine, but anyway, yeah, that's anyway. and that's on me. I'm Dolly Parton and that's it. <laughs> I had another guest on my first guest on that just sort of revealed my own biases. Uh, he was a physicist, which is what made me think of him. Uh, Brian Wecht. He was a physics professor. And then he was also part of a comedy rock band called Ninja Sex Party and oh, Ninja yeah. Sex Party took off. And so he quit his job as a physicist to go like live his life as a rock star, like in his mid thirties. And, and I was like, wow, so physicist, rock star, how do you juggle those two worlds? And he was like, well, I'm also a father and a husband. And I was like, right. And wow. it was just my own bias mm. that of course that would be a huge part of his identity. Right. It didn't even occur to me that that was like- That could be an option. 
Right. Ah, a family? Yeah. Tell me more. Humans can barely care for a plant. And he was like, well, my first identity is as a father. And I was like, that's beautiful. And I feel really bad about myself that it didn't cross my mind to ask about that. <laughs> it never it never crosses my mind to say, no. are you a caretaker of a young person? <laughs> no. How many lives you? depend on you? Right? Yeah. Are you breeding right, right now? <laughs> I don't have a lot of that in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I will say it's been reassuring because I knew, you know, more selection bias. I knew these people were awesome. And so I bring yeah. them on just to be like, tell me about your coolness. But I also am reassured. And I think we started talking about this before we were recording to hear that most of them also were plagued with self-doubt over yeah. the years and are thinking, yeah. you know, it's this self-hatred. Like, and I've said this to myself, like, why can't I just focus? Why can't I pick a thing? And another really common theme is especially the arts side uh, and Arden, it kind of sounded like you did a similar thing where they're doing the art stuff and it's what it's either full-time or it's kind of in the background and they do it just because they love doing it. And then there's a moment where they're like, I'm going to quit you art. And they, yeah. they sell the guitar. They set down the thing. They quit the studio that whatever version is, you know, they flush their paints. I don't know. And they try to live without it. And then it ends up coming back in one way or another. And some, and different yeah. people have different stories. So sometimes they'll say, well, I, I knew I was depressed and I just was like, I'll just do it a little bit. And then it's a gateway. And next thing you know, your house is covered in murals, right? Or they would do it <laughs> accidentally. They'd be like, well, I was kind of out at a thing. And then I took a spin class and then they also had a pole class. And so the next thing I know I'm dancing at you. Know. And so you kind of just like, don't even realize it. Like you had a cigarette while you were drunk and you kind of forgot kind of situation. Right, right, right. <laughs> but it's interesting to me that I, I tend not to see that on the science side. They're not like, mm -hmm. I need to quit physics. Right? right. <laughs> I don't see anyone saying that. Right. I right. see them right. quit physics, but that only after a lot of turmoil and hand wringing. But the arts is something that people treat like a, like a, like a bad habit in a lot of ways. And Arden, it yeah. sounds like you did that mm. to an extent. I don't know if that was true for you. I, I, I mean, I got to a point with acting where I was like, ah, I mean, I was, I always read older than I was. It was just, you know, I was like never, it never, and it wasn't making me happy. And I was like, and so that Huge. took a long time to admit to, like, it wasn't making me happy. And then, cause when you go into the arts and you realize that, then you feel like a failure and like, you've spent money trying to learn the thing and trying to do the thing. And I was like, well, maybe, maybe I should do something that's more grown up. Maybe I should become an adult somehow. And I had started volunteering on campaigns and I was like, oh, this looks like a fun, a fun life to have. This could be great. And I did that for a couple of years and I was like, this life is not great. <laughs> I don't want to work on campaigns. I'm not happy again. <laughs> I am not happy again. And it was funny because I, I got into writing. Well, I had started, I mean, I, was a, I wrote a little bit in my 20s when I was an actor because the school that Lizzie and I went to, they were like, make your own work, write your own thing, write a play and be in it. You know, like who says you can't? Right. So I tried to write, you know, some screenplays and stuff. But at that age, like unless you're, you know, it was my early 20s. It, it, I had the mindset of like, if it's not perfect on the first time, right. then it's crap. I, I mean, no I still idea. have that mindset. So thank you for saying that. It's, yeah. It's, yes, it's, it's hard to like, to move past that. And I just, I wasn't in the right place to like go down that venture at that time. And then some friends of mine, I don't know, maybe three years ago started a writer's group and I was like, can I be in it? And they were like, sure. They all have like MFAs and whatever, and they're good writers. And I was like, okay, great. But it was, it was like a crash course in writing and it was so fun and I loved it. And I was like, nope, this is, this is it. Like, this is the thing that will, that I find really satisfying. It makes me happy. And I, you know, like, I think I'm good at it. Like, which was something that I never felt about acting. 
Like I never felt like I was good at it. So I was like, I kind of, this is where I'm going to go. This is the new direction. So I guess you could say I did, I left the arts and then I did, and then went to science and then I left science. Yep. And now I'm back at the arts. So I don't know. I don't know what that says about me. I don't know if that says like, you know, if people are like wishy-washy, what do we want to do? But it's funny how you were talking about, you know, other cultures because I have a lot of friends of, uh, some friends of mine who are French and they, we had this conversation a couple of years ago when I went to go visit them because they don't get to do what we do and kind of switch careers. You know, like once you're on a track, you're kind of on a track. And if you mm. don't hit those points, you know, especially in certain fields, then it's really, really hard to get back on that track. Interesting. I wonder what it is. Cause you hear that stereotype when you were describing that, I was like, oh, it sounds like Japan. And again, I'm speaking yeah. from, you know, the, the most distant third party observation I possibly could, but it's like, yeah, you're, you join a company and you stay there until you die and you're loyal to that company right. before anything else. And I don't know how the U S got, you know, we have our own serious problems and there's its own pitfalls there, but I don't know how we got sure. to a point where we could do that. So that's the yeah. other thing that I also think about a lot is there's a lot of privilege that comes, that is required to do this sort of meandering. And so I've yeah. been very mindful as well that, you know, the, the guests that I have on, they don't all come from a wealthy background by any stretch, but it's, you, you have to have some kind of support or, or social network or something in place in order to do a lot of the meandering that people do, or you, you can meander in a, in a more kind of careful way. Like you don't take a full step mm -hmm. out with no plan, that kind of thing, but it is a very privileged position to be in. And so I'm also trying to think through that. Like, it shouldn't be the case that if you don't grow up with, you know, have the ability to, to save some money for a few months that you shouldn't be able to try a different career. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, we're getting into like the, the cost of this higher education, you know, and it's like either you can afford it and you can afford to do it more than once or you can give yourself loans once or loans twice and then you leave and you're like, well, like that's always hanging over you. And so then, yeah. you know, having to to deal with that mental strain as yeah. well, which, you know, the United States is probably one of the worst countries as far as like higher education and costs go. So I would be shocked if there's a country where there's more student debt. Yeah. For degrees that no. are all but mandatory for most jobs. Right. Right. right a good right. friend of mine from grad school, uh, her name is Papia DeBroy. She works for an organization in DC called Opportunity at Work. And the whole, not the whole, but one of the big things that they focus on is convincing companies, especially like the big Fortune 500 and tech companies, all this stuff, to hire talent that doesn't have a traditional four-year undergraduate degree mm -hmm. for precisely these reasons, which is there yeah. are a lot mm -hmm. of reasons why you can't afford it, or you have to care for a family member, or you have to work, or you have to do something else. And so you just, you don't have the resources for all kinds of complicated reasons to get this traditional four-year degree that basically requires you to not work and spend a ton of money. Right. So their whole point is like, hey, you know, Apple, hey, Google, there are all these amazingly talented people out there who've been entrepreneurs running their own business, running their parents' business, serving in the military, teaching, you know, uh, kindergarten or whatever they're doing. And these are all skill sets that you want in the workplace. But for now, the way that we measure talent is just like, we scan the resume for the degree right. and the GPA yep. and we say, okay. Or we say, why isn't there a master's degree? And then we go from right. there. And so, so yeah, we're, we're kind of trapped in this system where we say, okay, at 18, it's easy for us to sit here and say, we don't need to know 
what you need to do at 18. But on the other hand, yeah, you you're expected to do something yeah. and go somewhere. Yeah. Well, and the other yeah. piece of this and Arden, I'm curious to hear about that. I mean, both of you, but, but I'm going to talk about master's degrees. So Lizzie, do you have a master's? I do not. I do not. Yes. I have a master's degree in living life. Let me tell you. There we go. Uh, my, my students are upset. I mean, this is an oversimplification, but the students I hear from are obsessed with getting a master's degree. And it does seem mm -hmm. to me from the outside that there's a master's, at least in like data science is, 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 is the new undergrad. Like you need right. it. Mm -hmm. And they have this, I, I, they come to me and they say, well, you write me a letter of recommendation. Do you have advice on what program to go to? And usually my, my advice is like, why are you doing this? Don't, Don't do this. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And, no. and I'm also I'm on the admissions committee for the NYU Center for Data Science master's program, which means I read a whole bunch of the applicate, you know, thousand applications that come in. Uh, there are more, but there's there's a team of us. so I don't read them all. And mm -hmm. over the years, I feel like the you know, you read the statement of purpose, which everyone knows is awkward to write. But yeah. the number of statements of purpose that are just like data science is important. I need to know more. That's why I want to come. And you're like, what? Like, where are yeah. the people who want to change the world or who are desperately curious? I mean, I have all kinds of biases too, but I think it's just people who have parents who can shell out enough money for six years of school rather than four right. get to have all these things and then everyone else doesn't. <laughs> and masters are expensive. Discuss, I guess, is like my they're they're very expensive. Well, that's also why like I I knew after I graduated from Columbia at 30 and then worked on campaigns for a couple of years. I like, as I was, you know, finishing my time at Columbia, I was like, should I get a master's? And like all the programs that I looked at, I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to do a master's in environmental science. I don't want to do a master's mm. in public administration. Like, oh my God, I'd stab myself. Like I, I just knew that I didn't want to do any of that. And I was like, maybe you don't want to do this. Yeah. Right. And then I had spent so much money. And by that, I mean, take took on so much debt mm -hmm. to get this undergraduate degree. And then there's guilt about that because you've spent the money and now you don't want to do the thing. And I was like, but I didn't spend the money to get the degree to get a job. I spent the money to get an education. So that's how I've had to like reframe it in my head. Yeah. And then, you know, going back to get a, a master's in screenwriting, I was like, first of all, it's, you know, a quarter of the cost of a Columbia undergraduate degree because I'm going to Brooklyn College. So there's that part of it. But I mean, it is still more debt. But at the end of the day, I was like, if I'm going to do this, then I need, I actually want to know how to do structure correctly. I want to know how to develop stuff. I want to make connections. And that's what I feel like that felt like a good use of master money to go towards a master's, you know, like I, I want to learn how to do it better. And I want to learn how to like, how to tell stories effectively. And so yeah, I don't know. I just, but fa but being faced with having to choose which political science-y master's program I was going to do, I was like, bye, I'm out. I can't, I don't want to do this. And it was funny because people at the time, I mean, this was 2016, they were like, you basically either have to get a master's in some specialization or learn Spanish or Mandarin. Like it's one of the two. Whoa. And I was Why? Like, so you could oh. do like international politics or something? Or just like be more desirable from a hiring perspective. Mm. You know, like it wasn't enough to have the degree, even from an Ivy League institution. It, it, you know, it was like, all right, that's nice. But lots of people have that. Like literally thousands of people have that. So you have to find something else that sets you apart. And it was like, you know, being forced, being faced with like, 
should I do the master's? And then I have to build a body of work and I have to have thoughts about things and <laughs> write papers and all of that. And I was like, oh God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have thoughts. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't want to have thoughts. No. Well, it's no. good that you thought of or acknowledged that before you went into it because many, mm -hmm. I'm sure, were like, yeah, but that's what I should do and this is the right thing right. to do and so there, I'm going to do it. And would would be even more stuck, right? The further you go down a path, and I say this from experience, like the further you go down a path, the harder it is to acknowledge, admit, allow yourself to do something else. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. It was uh, in academia for oh, a long time. <laughs> a really long time. I was in... My PhD program for, for like eight years. And then I was a postdoc for two years. And then I was a faculty member for three years before I like went AWOL and, and quit with no plan. And then I went, you know, dragging myself back. But it was, I basically quit when I did because I was like, if I take one more step down this path, like if I get any more comfortable in this train, I'm never getting off. Like right. I knew yep. that that was what yep. was going to happen. And so yep. I think that you, I don't know, maybe our generation is just going through the midlife crises I'm, I'm saying our generation. I think I'm, I think I'm much older than you both, but uh, I'm going <laughs> to myself in with you. The royal our generation. <laughs> than like the, the Mad Men people did, which is to say our yeah. parents' generation. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, well, yeah. yeah sure. I mean, there's just so much. <laughs> I think because at least for, for me and my experience in my lifetime, you know, and I know I'm, I'm the youngest of the three of us. It's just like, I feel like I've, we as a society have been in crisis for, you know, my conscious adult life and but yet I'm supposed to have inner stability about what I want and mm -hmm. who I am and what I want to pursue and you kind of look up and you look around and you're like am I the only one doing this work yeah <laughs> you know I feel like okay you don't tell me to be stable when you're not stable right, right. I, okay pot meat yep. kettle like let me leave me be you know there's I think there's always been kind of like a hypocrisy and and contradictory statements and and messaging that have come from you know older generations down but now I think more so than ever it's so blatant yeah that it's like yeah. you, you <laughs> I have to go to college but that means to take on debt you know you like want me to like buy a house and settle down but that takes on debt like 
I need yeah. to, you know, have one of these 10 acceptable jobs, but like, that's like, there's no p- place for me as a woman. And the, you know, it's like, there's just all of yeah. these things that I'm like, it's so blatant how much this isn't working. <laughs> and don't come at me with the avocado toast line. I mean, my God, give me yeah. one luxury. I I beg of you. I am on my hands and knees. Yeah. It's a very filling breakfast. I don't know what you want me to say. It's, very it's a good yummy. fat. It's literally good for you. How is yes. this my fault? It's not, Lizzie. It's not your fault. It's yeah, I, it's I'm I am the cause. I am the cause of all of this destruction. This it's my new path. <laughs> Exactly. No, I think you're right to point out that we've been in crisis this whole time. Like, so I, you know, I feel I grew up, you know, I remember the nineties and it was all very nice. And then except for like Kosovo happened. And I was like, very like worked up about that and ran some kind of fundraiser. I'm not even sure like what side I was on. Like, I just, I remember being like, (laughs) Kosovo needs help. I don't know where I sent the money. I don't know what happened, but I was like, Kosovo. So I got really wound up about that in the nineties. And then Everything was pretty much fine. I mean, obviously horrible things were happening, but as far as like the American psyche and our national stability went in, and then, you know, 9-11 hit and it was uh, literally hit and it was real downhill from there, I would say. I don't know if that's sort of what you're referring to, Lizzie, but yeah, I mean, I was in third grade when 9-11 happened. So it's like, welcome to the world. Never stood a chance. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never stood a chance. Yeah. Um, But I think you're right. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it's such a, I feel like it's an obvious turning point but I think it is a turning point and just how we start I mean you know we obviously talk politically in this podcast but also just like societally so much started to change and I feel like identities that were once very set in stone and and you know things that every everybody just agreed upon were no law like everybody started acting up and lashing out and I'm like, okay, so what it means to be this thing isn't actually the same as what it used to mean. Mm-hmm. Right. Two people who do amazing work, Lizzie, than what you just said reminded me of are Bethany Albertson and Shana Kushner. They do a lot of research on anxiety and politics. And mm-hmm. one of the things, it's both about how anxiety influences our politics. So does that make us vote more conservative? If I'm already conservative leaning, am I, does that exacerbate right. that? Do I change politics? Oh, what does so that do? And how does politics, of course, contribute to anxiety, which we all are like, a lot. That's the answer right there. Yeah. But one of the things that they talk about in one of their most recent books, I think it's like, it's like democracy under anxiety. And it's a picture of the Statue of Liberty with like a storm cloud around it. You're just like, that's what's <laughs> happening in my mind. That's like very, I don't know who yeah, their artist sure. was, but on point, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that is me. Uh, one of their points is that as we get more anxious, depending on our political leanings, that can really affect what we expect from our government and how we think Mm. of democracy in general. Mm. And so one of the arguments is that it causes us to trust our leaders in some ways. So you think of times of crisis, so 9-11 pandemic, you know, just to name a few that that probably most of us have already forgotten about. And so I don't know if you remember, there was a pandemic and a 9-11. Oh my God, thank you for bringing it up. It totally slipped. (laughs) To put it on my calendar, it's a little daily reminder. Yeah, there is a pandemic. There it was, yep. Anyway, those those big events cause us to trust government more, which is great. And now I'm going to sound like a Republican for a second. They also allow us to 
uh, let the government expand its powers and its control over our lives. So democracy, mm -hmm. one of the tenets of democracy is constrained leadership. So it's not mm -hmm. that we necessarily need a small government, but it's that it's not this totalitarian thing that controls your life. And if you look at post 9-11, Homeland Security, all of that, of course, the pandemic and frankly, I would say the financial crisis and name yeah. any other crisis you like, we as citizens yeah. tend to be like, okay, we don't know, government, you're in charge, tap our phones, right. do whatever you want. And <laughs> I don't care. I mean, I'm pro-mask, pro-vac, like, just to be very, very clear, but it's interesting to me how our emotional reactions to crises change our very understanding of what government is for and what it can mm -hmm. and should do. And generally right. speaking, it's it's depending on your views, expands your sense of what the government should be doing. Right. Well, there used to be some consensus, like just some. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like, uh, like, uh, you know, there was always the, the different parties, of course, but there was always a little Venn diagram center of consensus, which doesn't exist anymore yeah. because to to con to have consensus is to lose yeah you know or yeah. to or to you know be weak um yeah. so it's like these things where it's like yes you know something that i struggled with with the pandemic was like these kind of obvious like you guys we're we don't we don't agree on science anymore yeah yeah we don't agree on science this is like what I went, like all through my primary education and beyond, we've always agreed on science. Right. And now we're taking this away from me too. So that's where it's, you know, it's, I feel like that, that breaking apart of just these very basic things that regardless of where you stood on the spectrum, there were these moments, you know, like, like I think 9-11 is a good indicator where there was consensus. Mm -hmm. I just, I was just thinking of that too. Yeah. And now yeah. I feel like we, we can't, we didn't, we couldn't have that in a pandemic. It was, it was tough to get. To, I mean, we got a little bit, but it was not without a couple of weeks and months of like, are we not going to agree on, on this, on the thing that the world is agreeing on? I just yeah. kept being like, how do we know more than the rest of the world? Like, but then I was, I, but then I was surprised that the government actually did so much. Like when it sure. started, when when everybody was sent home, and Broadway shut down, everything shut down, and I, I, we were like, I just went home and I was like, I, I don't really, what's gonna happen? And then they started the unemployment. They added the federal thing. They, they included, um, you know, like self-employed people and, and contractors and, and like really started thinking in ways that were flexible for as much as the United States federal government can do that. And I was like, I, and I had multiple COVID tests, you know, like every, like, just like everybody else. And, and those were all paid for by somebody, yeah. you know, unknown to me. And I was like, this is okay. Okay, we're it's not perfect. It's not perfect. But by like any someone's means. paying attention and thinking right. yes. there is some response. Yes. Yeah. But I also yes. think to your point, Arden, like on the opposite side of that, here in New York, it was way like the response was way different than like, you know, I come from Texas. Like, not that they didn't have those things to start with, but like how quickly it tapered off. Yes. And how quick how quick we went from here to here very quickly. It was like this big like little peck and then yeah 
Yeah, where yeah. where everybody was in sync, and then immediately it was like, oh, we can't. Oh, no, no, no. Now you're being hysterical. You're being hysterical. You know, mm-hmm. you're trying to force us to do these things, and it's like, oh, <laughs> it's just this. It's just it's just the data. It's just the data. Yeah. <laughs> now, I have friends yeah. in Florida, and they were we you know we would talk by via FaceTime, and they would be like we're living a normal life. You know, they'd be like yeah. FaceTime us from bars and we're like hunkered down in June of 2020 right. still. And it's still even thing. I mean, and that's the, one of the other things that I am increasingly obsessed with is exactly this is how do you, how do we disagree on science? How do we disagree on like yeah. pretty compelling evidence to me? Right. 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 And part of it, and this goes back to the, just to crowbar my own show in again, uh, to majoring in everything <laughs> in the sense that I, I'm in particular interested in people who kind of wander in and out of science because mm-hmm. I think we have a weird trend in this country where we put science on a pedestal, which I think it should be on because I think science is awesome. But then we mm-hmm. get into this camp where we have the two sides, exactly as you were saying, Lizzie, that say, I believe science, I trust science, and a side that says, I don't believe science and I don't trust science. And really, science is something we should all be able to read and understand and evaluate ourselves, right? Like, right. I, I wish right. we didn't, for all the costs of higher education and all the master's degrees that we're all supposed to get, I think a lot of Americans, I can't speak for other countries, but it's probably true there, don't have a really good understanding of actually how science works. Mm-hmm. And right. maybe, and, and uh, Arden, maybe uh, you, you, I'm curious if you had the same experience and maybe it's, it's a political science thing where it's like, I am grateful that I did political science, A, because I like feeling like I have a shot at making sense of all this madness. And B, mm-hmm. because it's such a, a messy and a hard science because humans are unpredictable and weird and- yeah you know, the pandemic is a great example of a lot of theories that we thought uh, about how people change their minds, which is people, you know, die, that tends to change people's minds. It turns out right. that didn't work, right? That wasn't right. enough. I don't, so I don't know what else there is. Um, but it's also, we try to be precise. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about like, how do we actually go about figuring something out? And I think right. the way that we talked about science in the pandemic tended not to do us any favors, because on average, we would say things like, the data says this, the science says that you have to wear masks. Wait, you don't have to wear masks. Wait, it has to be a surgical yeah. mask. And we tried to sound certain. And actually yeah. science is about being uncertain and doing our best and figuring it out. So I, I am like, we yeah. got to reframe this conversation because Lizzie, I agree with you. It was very obvious to me from a scientific perspective that there was a pandemic. I don't know want to be like right. too political on this right. podcast. Right. But right. No. Well, and also for me, like the uncertainty, I was like, in my mind, the na- like my natural thing was whenever like the messaging would change, I would be like, "Oh, they've they've gotten more data, mm-hmm. right? They understand right. it. Which they, is- it, they understand it more now. You right. know, like that's right. that because I was like, this thing came crashing into our lives, and then everybody had to start assessing yeah. it kind of at the same time. Yeah, you know, it's right. not like one country had a real jump over the others and could be like, "Hey, this is what's going on." It was truly as a as a globe. We all had right. to start assessing this one thing at the same time. And, and the thing that started but in the changing. Meantime, right. And in the meantime, people are dying. So it's like, okay, well, we have to do this at least and, and try this, you know, like, let's try to get the wound to stop bleeding while I figure out what has caused the wound. Right. Right. So it just always right. made sense in my head. But to, but to others, it was like, oh, there's because they're not certain. They're like this right. is made up. Like this is uh, right. uh, something to try along. to con- right. right to try to control us. And I was like, I just feel like everybody's looking They're at learning. this and discovering. They're learning. Right. <laughs> They're learning. They're learning. And it's, and it and the virus is still changing. 
And so how do you continue to learn about something that by its nature as an organism, as it passes, morphs and changes based on whether it strengthens and is less contagious or it's more contagious, but gets less bad. Right. So like, how do you, how, how do you, that's stat, that's, you know, statistics and models and all of that kind of thing that people don't understand, you know, it's like, and, and not that everybody needs to understand that kind of thing, but, it, but I think often now when somebody doesn't understand something, which is a, the prem, you know, the premise, original premise for our show, which is it's okay to not understand things. Yeah. It's okay to not understand things. And actually there's great strength in saying, I don't understand this. This is not my expertise. I'm going to look to the people that seem to know what they're talking about and, and look and, you know, either look at their credentials or look who's listening to them. Trust the, you know, if I trust somebody's judgment and they trust this person's judgment, you know, that's good for me. Like we need shortcuts. It's not bad to have shortcuts and it's not bad to say, I don't understand. Well, we, as you already know, I'm sure in political science, call it elite cues. We look for cues Mm -hmm. from elites. And one Mm -hmm. of the problems is that Trump became an elite, (laughs) I think (laughs) is a serious problem. And so it was like, who am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to the scientists and look at their credentials, which I think is is the move that I would recommend? Or am I going to listen to political actors who are trying to do all these, any number of other horrible things? And the other thing uh, is that crisis management. And Mm. basically the Mm. argument there is that leaders tend to get lots of political rewards. So re-election, donation, support, approval, blah, blah, blah in a crisis for how they handle it after the fact. Yeah. And they get almost no political points for preventing a crisis. So there's no incentive electorally. And so the research that I've read is about natural disasters. So do I prepare for a hurricane and make sure everyone's okay? That would be nice, but I'm not going to get reelected. What I'm going to get reelected for is after everything's destroyed, standing up on the hillside and saying, we will not be defeated and rebuild and blah, blah, blah. And then you get reelected. And so I don't know how much of that is like driving all of our public health and public policy decisions these days, not all, but a lot of them. Oh, for yeah. sure. But what's so interesting about that, you know, is it, in in hearing that and then Trump not being reelected, I'm curious, like, was, because, you know, when we, when we had you on last, we were in between elections. So Trump was president and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the 20, what year was it? 2020 election. Was it 2020? Yeah, the 2020 election was yeah. like in the far, you know, distant future. A lot happened that year, just to state the I, obvious. Oh the fact God. I literally was saying 2020 and was like, did this really, was it really 2020? I just want to fall can't. over and die. I forgot that we almost, I almost forgot that we started the pandemic with Trump. I mean, obviously we did. Yeah. But I, for a moment, I was, that was like not in my mental space. Well, I mean, yeah, he he had he was the the leader of like the the first response, yeah. which I think yeah. is interesting to you know to Andrea's point of we give points for response to crisis, and it's, I mean, the data suggests post election that we did not give him r- points for his response. Was that something that, I mean, I don't know. This is where I don't know how we analyze data pre-elections, but that was predicted or was there, you know, because I feel like what was the thing about the 2016 was that there was something like everybody thought it was going to go one way and it went this other way. Whereas this time I felt like we were a lot more, it, it, it went the way that I thought it probably would go. 
And I'm curious if that was something that you and your work saw. I mean, the answer is we don't know. And one of the challenges with political science is that if a lot of times we're focused on things like elections or singular events or wars yeah. or something, right? Yeah. And there's very few of these events to analyze and there's infinity variables that we could consider to predict those things. So the temptation right. to like overcorrect uh, for any particular outcome is huge. That said, I'm gonna do it, which is to say that I think a couple of things happened. I think it's hard to separate our expectations of what's gonna happen in the election from our like kind of mathematical predictions in the sense mm-hmm. that like probability is probability and whatever you want to say, it's a useless probability is probability. Good. good statement. <laughs> Whoa, nailed it. Uh, you know, a probabilistic outcome is, you know, 60% chance of Biden winning. I can interpret that as like, yeah, I feel pretty good about that. Or I can interpret that as like only 60%. Oh gosh. Yeah, right. And it's hard to, for me anyway, to disentangle my reaction to that number, however correct or capital T truth that number is. It's hard for me to disentangle that from my own fears, Lizzie, like you were saying, you know, after 2016, I was like, I don't trust anything, anything can happen. You you could literally be at a hundred percent and have this not go the way I'm hoping it will go. And so, so it's like my own expectation around those numbers, I think warps our ability to understand what the prediction, how good the prediction was. That said, I think a number of things were going on that were in Biden's favor or in generally in our favor, which is one, I think Trump miscalculated. This is just what I think. I um, miscalculated public response to the pandemic. I think Mm. had he taken it more seriously and people had not died and he demonstrated that he was slightly more competent. I mean, I, I I was, I don't know what happened, but I was on the Clorox bleach website the other day. I was not buying bleach. I literally clicked on an ad that I didn't mean to click on. I don't know what's going on. And literally at the top of the thing, it was like, do not inject bleach. Do not drink leaves at the top of the website still. Right. I don't know that that in particular swayed the election, but I think enough people were just like, this man can't lead that. Yeah. Yeah. We, I'm going to be partisan here, got a lot of centrists on board to vote against him. Right. Whereas in 2016, it was like, I don't know, roll the dice. Let's see. And, and enough, it's also so complicated because enough people hated Hillary and Biden yeah. was like, not that exciting, but a known cause. And so we, we kind of yeah. got the best of both worlds in the sense that we got the centrist people, we got the people who, and, or who would otherwise vote for a Republican. And we got the people on the left begrudgingly because at least it's not Trump. The other thing too that made me feel a little bit better is that in 2016, from a polling perspective, I think there was probably, this is just my view, probably a lot more response bias in the sense that people were like, I'm not going to vote for Trump, but then went and voted for Trump in this like super Mm, way, Mm -hmm. shy Trump voters. And I don't know, I don't have evidence around this, but I would suspect that by 2020, the, there were people were more, more honest on polls or, you know. I felt right. like those, I relied, I, I felt better about those numbers, I should say, as yeah. far as they're. Well, cause no, cause you know, he was president then. So yeah. they can say that I'm going to vote for the president. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. And to, I think to vote for an incumbent is different than I'm going to vote for Trump the first time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And Biden yeah. was also complicated because you could point to, not that they did, but, you know, anyone who's been in office for a long time, you can find reasons to be like, actually, it's because of his record on this that I'm you're like, okay, right, right, you right. don't know. You're just going to vote for Trump. Here's here's a question for you both. Uh, I read something, I think it was on Reddit. So this is the kind of political science I'm sure you asked me to come here and talk about. Uh, that was like basically what America needs to, you know, get that Venn diagram back together is a 
competent, moderate Republican president. Hmm. Get like both hmm. sides together. So someone who's like in the middle, I'll just throw in, you know, socially uh, on the left, <laughs> just for my own right. sanity. Who is this magical person? And I don't know if that's like the Romneys of the world or something, but basically that was the mm. argument that we need someone who's like a good, moderate Republican who will listen. Like we could have someone, because if you bring in a Democrat, the right is so far removed that they sure, yeah. would never make sense. But I don't know if the flip side would happen if we brought in a moderate Republican. I think, I think it's hard to not imagine the left not responding the same. You know, I think because we run in the circles that we run in, we think that the left doesn't act like the right does in the sense of like being anti what they are. Right. I think we just haven't had the um, political power that the right has had to influence that fully. I mean, right now we have, you know, a very slim majority in the Senate. We have a majority in the House and we have Biden. But because the majority of the Senate is so slim, like we can't even exert the full power that the Republican majority got to exert. So I'm always, I'm always hesitant to say that we, the left won't do what the right has done. uh, Because I just, you know, at the end of the day, everybody is a a politician and a political actor. And to be kind of uh, extreme is to get reelected. With that said, I think it's also hard for me to imagine a young moderate anybody right now. Um, I think I think the Democrats had the ability to showcase some of that in the election because they they had the ability to say here are ten candidates who could potentially yeah. be the future of this party. So I can see it a little bit more with Democrats, but with Republicans, I mean, we're still talking about Trump running again. Like that's true. It's either Trump or Ron DeSantis, and I'm like, that's not Ron it. DeSantis, <laughs> Oh you God. know, but I feel like it's the next step in the pendulum swing, right? You get, yeah, you get Trump and then you get a Biden who will say a lot of the, a lot of the things that the left wants him to say and, and believes, I think a lot of the things that the left wants him to say and has been, you know, to the left more so than, than other Democrats on issues, not all, but you know, like he was pro gay marriage before, you know. Obama was on the books about that. So, you know, in some ways it is maybe the next step in that pendulum swing of, okay, now we get like almost the Republican version of Biden, right? Like the mirror image or whatever, the reverse mirror image, you know what I mean? But like, maybe it is the next step. I don't know. I, 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 I would like to hope that, that, that would work out. Um, and that the, the, that the coasts like, you know, cause I feel like, there are, you know, there are pockets of, of, of liberals, you know, in, in the middle of the country. And I know we're running close to time, but I, I, I also think that like the coasts need to be reminded that they often, that they are not the, the, the main thought process, the main thought through line of the country as a whole, that the country actually is more moderate overall yeah. taken on an average. And that it's good that there are there are places in the country that push and push and push either either you know liberal pockets or or conservative pockets you know like you do need those voices but on the whole it's like this anger that why don't these stupid people in the middle of the country understand like i think that's the argument like that that that's where that's what makes me nervous because when you start you know 
attacking people personally, there's no argument to be had. Right. It's done. Right. So I think one other thought that I had because we were talking about, you know, a hypothetical moderate Republican being what brings us back. I think the other thing that I often meditate on is the fact that I feel in this moment that the Republican Party, much more so than the Democratic Party, is actually splitting into two in a very real way. Um, and I think that a that should Trump run for re-election, which I'm, I, at this point, I'm fairly certain that he will. I've and honestly it, been in like denial about it. In this, I, I, I yeah, truly, I, I truly even, think that he will, but I think what will happen in that moment, my prediction it. currently as a, as a uh, scientist is that. <laughs> I heard you're an astronaut. Is, I'm an astronaut. As an astronaut, <laughs> I'm a multi-hyphenate. It's crazy what I do. I think that it will solidify this, ver to me, a very clear fissure in the Republican Party, which is like the, you know, it's the the party of Trump and then conserve like what we've considered traditional conservatives. I mean, right now they're all grouped together. But if Trump runs for reelection, it's going to be this moment where once again, it's going to split that party even further because that's what happened with the 2020 election that yeah. the voters got split. And if you do that to them again, and you're like, we, this is our person again? When this was not who we wanted back in 2020, this was the person who lost and political leaders of the Republican Party are once again allowing a candidate that doesn't represent us right. to go for the nomination. Like, I very much see the possibility of that, you know, like a bull moose party type of situation splitting the Republican Party and splitting that. So that's the other part of it is like, can we have a moderate conservative if it's only coming from this fractured fragment of the idea? Of and the would the left Party? vote for that person? And so and would I, mean, left you could vote see, for that, right. I think the fissure wouldn't be as strong, but I think you're you're absolutely right about the Republican side where it really is like Trump and not Trump Republicans. Yeah. And then on the yeah. uh, on the left, yeah, it would be like, you know, in the election, if there's a final election, can you bring yourself to vote for a Republican candidate if the left per person on the left is super far removed and provided right. Trump isn't the nominee? And right. also, I'm getting wound up as you're describing that about like all the structural problems with like the Electoral College. Oh my God. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Rank choice or approval voting and all that. Oh. I was like, oh, there's so many like simple math ways we could solve this that obviously solve no. from a Democrat perspective. No. And just the structure of the Senate in general. Yeah. 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 Why don't we why don't we end with this? Why don't we end with circling it all back to you because that's just what I love to do always. Can when when are when can we expect general date range new episodes of the podcast? Where can we hear the podcast? Anything else you have going on? Let's hear it. Here's what here's what's going on. I'll just share my Google Calendar with all you listeners. Excellent. Please share your screen if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> my podcast comes out every other Monday uh, I because I, can't, I literally can't get it together to go every week. This is the state that I'm in. Uh, so the next one is coming out this coming Monday, the 11th, and it will be the episode with Paula Croxon, who's the neuroscientist, flautist, swimmer, whatever. So depending on when you're listening to this, maybe it just came out. Uh, and then the one after that is uh, two Mondays from there. And we have eight episodes. They're on YouTube. If you go to Majoring and Everything, 
and they're on. So you, usually there's like a, a video for most of them. Sometimes it's audio only. And also wherever you get podcasts, blah, blah, blah. I, I have not yet taken a principled stand against Spotify. So I am on Spotify and I'm sorry for enabling Joe Rogan with that. Uh, I am also on all the social medias at Jonesroy, J-O-N-E-S-R-O-O-Y. And otherwise, I actually just finished a show called The Data Science Spectacular, where I talked about data and science by using comedy and circus, but that's over. And I'm trying to figure out where to take it next or what the next version is. And Arden, what you said about, you know, if it's not perfect, you decided it's crap. That's kind of where I've landed with it. And I should just, you know, edit it and do it again. But uh, do it again. Do it again. But for now, I, I perform comedy around the West Village. If you want to find me on social media, oh, you'll see awesome. me yammer on about that. So. Thanks, Andrea. Thank and to our sweet, sweet listeners, we love you so, so much. And if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. We love you so, so much, and we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye.